Hey, welcome to the fourth episode of Counterweight, where Eric Brazier and I, Joel Goodwin, or HM of Electron Dance, talk about uh, any topic that takes our fancy, but one topic only. And today we're going to talk about um, basically the personalities in uh, indie gaming. And um, so uh, we watched uh, Indie Game the movie to uh, kick us off with that. What did you think of the you think of the film, Eric? I disliked it a great deal. Okay. Did not like it. <laughs> okay. uh, it. It was basically a 90-minute commercial for indie games. Okay, so is that a bad thing? I think so. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's interesting because um, I had... Did you read uh, Liz Ryerson's review for yeah. Midnight Resistance? For yeah, the, I did another reread of that before we started up today. Yeah, and and I think a lot of her points, you know, I had read the review before I'd watched the movie, and uh, I I had to watch the movie in about four uh, different sessions because I just could not sit there and watch the thing for for 90 minutes straight in a row. It was just that aggravating. And I even uh, tweeted the other day, uh, you know, I said, uh, uh, how how many times do they say the word Mario in this movie? And, uh, you know, I say that because I don't think it's, it's not coincidental that all the games that they're working on are side-scrolling platformers, which is a very understood sort of genre for non-gamers. Uh, they, they mentioned Mario many, many times. The, you know, Liz Ryerson's point about the, the whole movie looking very glossy and very shiny and very commercial-like, I think, is, is, is definitely accurate. And I don't really get a sense of why... It, but, but even worse, I mean, like, I don't really get a sense of why I should care about any of these developers. And it really seemed to be focused on trying to sell the idea of games as art uh, through uh, kind of this, this, this like tortured artist trope that everyone goes for uh, nowadays and has gone for for many years. Interesting. I mean, I, I took away a different message. I actually agree with uh, some of Liz's points. Uh, I didn't disagree with them at all. Um, but I guess I come down less negative uh, about it. Um, Although when I think back on the film a few times, I think, hey, wait a second. Um, so I tended to take from it um, more of th- this is the, yes, these are kind of like uh, games which are going to, well, I'm going to say they're going to sell well. They're easier to digest for any particular audience and even for the gaming audience in general because they are platformers. Um, but it's still, to me, it was still putting out something of, this is the kind of craziness of developing an indie game. You spend years like, you know, just making a game and who knows if it's actually going to make enough money to, to live on. How are you supposed to make through it? How are you supposed to make it through those years? So that kind of what I ended up focusing on when I was watching the film, as opposed to these games are just so cool because it, it kind of dropped some of the game aspects after the, after the start so much, right? It was concentrating more as the, as it went on actual individual issues and just getting through, you know, getting it to release and i found that stuff more interesting about yeah this is kind of you know writing a book or whatever that's one thing but when you do a game it's like a full-time job you really have to do this day in and day out to to get out some you know polished quality game and so yeah i wasn't as negative on its message but i think there are obviously differences where you look at the uh 
the Edmund McMillan story versus the Phil Fish story, which is a bit more, uh, it's the one that repeats on me when I think back, when I think about it. I think, hmm, that feels a bit too kind of uh, crazy. Yeah, but I but I think the movie really focuses in, in on that idea and, and sort of the, the, the concept that we're not going to be able to take games seriously, uh, quote unquote, if we don't have these sort of like really intense artistic personalities or temperaments making these games. And, you know, you've got uh, uh, Jonathan Blow, who's become almost a caricature at this point in time in the movie which he's not in the movie too much but when he's there he's he's making these grand statements about how great games are and and you know commercial games are, are shit and all this kind of stuff um and you have a uh, 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 fish sitting there saying wow games are so great and they, they encapsulate uh, uh all the art forms you know music video uh, uh all these things you know graphic arts and da 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 and this and that and the other thing and isn't it great and isn't this the one most wonderful art form in, in existence that's ever been created and i just kind of sitting there going well, well not really i mean it it, <laughs> it 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 depends on what you do with it it's not really the fact that the medium exists that makes it so important and you know so so i i can see why the movie was made that way and I think that's why it dovetails into into our topic of conversation today, because it really was focusing on the the personalities involved, and it wasn't focusing on the games. And I think that that's problematic because it's very difficult to convince someone who hasn't picked up a controller, perhaps ever, or in 20 or 25 years, to really get a sense of what playing a game is like nowadays right. and also to, to, to get them to even do it. Well, there's also, at the same time, there's also a sense that some players don't even get how much effort has to go into a game, right? Uh, the actual, how much struggle there is trying to make a game. I mean, it's very difficult to just put something out that's super polished, you know, and yeah, very quickly and to tune it perfectly. So that's, you could think of it as like maybe that's also advertising to players themselves as opposed to a mainstream audience. I know there was this whole thing that Indie Game the movie could be turned into Indie Game the series kind of drama series or something. But I was seeing it more as like maybe this is actually a message for players who um, and you know don't think much of indie gaming and that like that games are too expensive and stuff like that. And maybe put a bit of reality into the equation. But then again, how much how much of that? <laughs> When when that documentary is so super polished, I think it undermined it, right? Because it felt a bit unreal many times you're watching it. And it was like, hmm, this feels a little bit like watching like a managed reality show occasionally. Yeah, exactly. I felt the same way. And it, you know, sort of that glossy look to it even um, sort of elides all of the rough edges and sort of smooths them all over. And, you know, I think it was really interesting and, and, and at one point where uh, a Super Meat Boy is, is on release day and, and they say something like, oh, it sold 15,000 copies. And, you know... You and I know that that's a good number for for the first day, but someone sitting in the audience watching the film who who doesn't really know anything about indie games, they didn't really give any context and try to give any context. And it was just sort of like, what what is, I don't what does that mean? Is that yeah, is that they, good? They said something like, um, if you hit twenty, it's considered a success. But I was thinking, oh, we yeah, I was remember thinking at that moment, like I was thinking, is that good? Is that what, what's going to happen as that tails off? And I was really thinking like you know 15,000 could sound like an awful lot and no one's you need to have like how much money is that going to generate for, right for a developer it's it's worse if you're in a bundle or something like that 
Well, if you look at you know fifteen thousand and then you know the ten dollars a copy, it's one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and you look at your thirty percent cut for Microsoft and all this kind of stuff. You know, that's what so, I mean. There's none of that, right? There's none. No, of that they in don't. Film. They don't talk about that at all. So I think that's that's an important point as well. Well, that that also um, takes me to the point which was I was a bit uncomfortable about very early in the fo- in the film when it just starts talking about indie games making huge amounts of money, right? The the whole thing about how much World of Goo made and Braid, etc. And I thought. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Come on, this is exactly the kind of story we want to kill. Maybe, maybe we're we're kind of post that period now, and we're starting to think about how hard it is for anybody to make indie games and make some money. Um, yeah. Maybe it's like just the, the the gap between when this was made and where we're at now, and we're seeing more reality. But I was looking at that and thinking, oh Jesus, we don't need more dreams. We just need a little bit more reality, and to stop thinking you can just like you know. Uh, it doesn't matter. You you just don't eat for like about three years and you'll be a millionaire at the end of it. I know no one's going to really think about that, but it did seem to um, weight things more towards the don't worry, you will make some money at the end of it. Yeah, and the, and the movie is filled with uh, you know scenes of uh, of Super Meat Boy guy. I, I always forget his name; it's terrible. But uh, you know, injecting what, 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 himself. Oh, um, uh, Tommy, uh, the second yeah. name I can not sure how to pronounce. Defendi is that him, or am I making that up? Uh, it's the, the it's spelled something like a ref, Refnez. Refnez. Oh like yeah, that. that's him. Yeah, I totally. That's someone else entirely. <laughs> um, Refreni or whatever. Uh, you know, he's always injecting himself with insulin and, 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 you know, he's sitting there and he's have this horrible schedule where he, you know, sleeps at nine o'clock in the morning and wakes up at four thirty in the afternoon. And, you know, and, and I, I understand, you know, again, why the filmmakers chose to, to, to focus on these people and, and to examine their lives in this fashion. And I, I found it really interesting because I, I think it was in the Liz Ryerson uh, review of the movie as well, or, or maybe it was somewhere else where I read that the, the filmmakers actually followed a, a lot of different indie developers that they decided uh, to not to put into the movie and to focus on these really three people. Um, that and, would have been really jo- interesting. I think I would have liked being interested to know what those stories were like. Yeah, that was that was kind of my my idea behind it. Where I was like, I think it would be really instructive to follow the failures and yeah. and you know to see what happens to people who don't make it and you know where are their lives now and and maybe you know if the if the movie is a commercial um, as as I think it is, I don't know that Super Meat Boy and Fez really need the publicity at this point in time. Yeah, uh, the other thing that um, was occurring to me is that. Um, which is going off that point about who they were focusing on. Um, I remember having a conversation with Doug Wilson last year when I was in uh, when I was interviewing him. Um, we was wandering around, and one of the things that came out was about. Um, I think this was the time the indie game movie was coming out. I can't remember, uh, but we discussed um, like about now indie developers are becoming personalities. You know, um, which is the whole point of this podcast, and you know, not just like the biggest of them all. You know, not just like. I don't know how many Twitter followers. It's something like, you know, more than the people on the planet or something. Yeah. And it's just, it's so huge. And part of you thinks it's almost, it feels uncomfortable that we've gone from some, uh, from developers from being, um, well, in the eighties, we knew who our developers were apart from if you worked for someone like Atari, who turned you into some sort of cog, but, Later on, um, developers, you know, we, we've now got the corporations then hid developers into little, you know, development farms, churn out code, and the studio is what sells the game, you know, the, the, the studio or the publisher. 
And then finally we started to get, we were happy at last to see developers start to come out of the woodwork and indie games are making the names of individuals much more public. There's still studios around who kind of hide the, the teams that are working on them. But we're seeing a lot more names now. We've got Notch now, like, you know, the, the God. And, you know, we've got people know who Ed McMillan is if you're in this space and Phil Fish and, and Anthropy. But um, when they become so excessive, it starts to feel a bit like, well, wow, this is like that kind of uh, the situation we have with um, the elite at the top, right? The 1% at the top. Everybody knows it's 1% at the top and the 99% have nothing, have no publicity, you know, no, uh, um, they have no footprint, you know, they barely any footprint and struggling to be heard. I mean, some people know who Chris Park is, but, he, you know, the, the guy behind uh, AI War and, 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 and everything that Arson does. But, you know, he's not mentioned in the same sort of way that someone, that, that notches or, or, or even Ananthropy, to be honest. I'd, I'd say I'd, you'd hear more about Ananthropy, who isn't, from what I understand, is not really making any money, uh, than Chris Park is. Uh, um, who, you know, you don't hear from Chris Park being mentioned that much. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I think there's a couple, a couple different things going on there. Uh, you know, number one, it, it's really dependent on the, the artist or the developer being a really interesting person. Uh, outside of any considerations of whether or not the games they're making are any good or interesting or do anything, um, uh, uh, you know, artistic or innovative or, or even interesting. And so it, it kind of punishes people for, for not being uh, these sort of dynamic larger than life figures, uh, it, you know, in the way that uh, so many um, indie developers, I, I think, are that, that we know about. But mm. we know about them, of course, because they are these larger than life dynamic figures. And, you know, I think the other thing that, that, that's important to note about this, this sort of a call the personality aspect to, to indie development is that, you know, this is nothing new. I mean, if you can go back and see, uh, 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 you know, music criticism, you know, especially of the of the 70s when music criticism was a really a, a dynamic force in the culture, um, they were they were selling the music based on creating these very. Uh, 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 very romanticized views of what it meant to be a musician. And you didn't. And and the second part of that is at the same time, back when that was being written, there was no real way to have such direct access to the artists that you liked. And we have that now with Twitter. Mm. And I think Twitter is a very large portion of that. Um, it, 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 it really, I think, has exploded the concept of the personality as opposed to the art that the person is making. Yeah, I, you know, I just it, it it's one of those things that I, I I think about a lot. Where you know, if you if you think about what uh, what was being written about, you know, uh, 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 filmmakers and and artists and and musicians, you know, the ones that make it big get these sort of like ideas about their personalities and and you see this especially with like movie stars and things like that even nowadays where they have these very sort of like managed personas everybody has an idea of who they are Mm. and we don't have that so much with indie developers i think we're starting to get that kind of stuff at least with um things like tom bissell's interview with with ken levine uh from grantland a couple months ago and uh you know uh, uh polygon um has done some interesting developer uh uh profiles 
and and other places as well you know even even non-gaming publications you know the, the most famous one probably for for indie de- indie developers is is Jonathan Blow in the Atlantic yeah and and so that's starting to happen right and so that i think that's that more has to do with um journalists and writers wanting to try identifying new targets for uh uh the the, the sort of like lifestyle profile that people read and people like reading because people like gossip yeah and i think that has a lot to do with it as well and it's 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 interesting what at what point do you believe your own hype if you know what i mean at what point does the does does the personality you're projecting of the of the rock star indie developer become you i mean there are some um or I'm just thinking there's some humble guys out there. I mean, I just can't think. I don't hear very much from uh, 2D Boy, right? I mean, you've got um, um, Kyle and Ron. I just don't I don't see them very much in my face. I know they, they run help on the indie fund and so forth, but they don't turn up that much. But someone like uh, Jonathan Blow, you know, you hear a lot about Jonathan Blow, right? Um, and it's usually something that pisses everybody off. Um, and whether... Is he trying to project a personality or is it just because because everybody's hanging on of his Twitter account, then any single thing he says, which is slightly untoward, becomes a movement. You know, it's something to oppose or embrace. Um, and that's the kind of power that if do you really want it. And if you start believing in it, I mean, what's that going to do to your ability to make a game? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, you know, I, I think we keep coming back to Jonathan Blow just because he is the most, uh, the, the most visible example of this. And, you know, we all have our own opinions about Jonathan Blow and about his, his, his game, uh, because, you know, the witness has been supposed to come out every month now for, for four years or something. Uh, and, and, you know, when it comes out, it, it better be the most brilliant thing on earth or else, you know, his, his life will be shattered forever. Um, and he won't be able to ride around San Francisco with his Tesla. Uh, I like to make Jonathan blow jokes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, 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 you know, but but the, the thing is, we have to remember too is that you know Jonathan Blow has 25,000 Twitter followers, and like Adele has 13 million. So it's such a small, small corner of the cultural landscape that we're talking about, and that these sort of indie developers um, inhabit, and so even if they're trying to be sold to a mass market on terms of personality, I don't think that the mass market cares so much about what they're making to really buy into the cult of personality, if that makes sense. Yes, but some things happened this week, which made me wonder if that's as true. Maybe not from a commercial point of view in terms of, um, you know, you don't, if you have 30 million followers, you have real power. Well, and it's something like along, you know, a couple of, couple of, you know, ten couple of ten thousand, then you know it's not really any real influence at all. I'm not. I think we're seeing. I think Twitter has had an effect of making the sort of celebrity culture work on a much smaller scale. Um, and the Lee Alexander thing this week uh, made me think that. Um, so for anyone who didn't know, um, Lee Alexander wrote a piece on Thought Catalog, um, which was I'm not sure how to describe it. It was kind of saying. You know, she doesn't like the attention from some of her Twitter f- followers, right? It's, it's almost like stalker kind of behavior, and you know, just you know, back off a bit. W- w- am I am I paraphrasing that too much? 
No, I no, I think you're right. I mean, it was basically, you know, it was uh, uh, her writing from the perspective of one of her followers, and she used a ridiculous number. It was like, you know, from your fifteen thousand five hundred fifty eighth follower, um, and it was just this long litany of things that the follower was t- trying to tell Lee mm. Alexander, and that the follower was not, pay- you know, Lee Alexander was not paying attention to the follower, and eventually, at the end of the article, the follower said, ah, "I'm going to unfollow you. It's nothing personal. It's just something I have to do." And so it was a very tongue in cheek uh, 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 portrayal of that. No. Yeah, so that's the thing that that article then caused a sort of you know <laughs> storm on Twitter. They, you know, there was, there was people on one side saying, "Yeah, I know exactly what you mean." Um, I remember uh, I was on. I only caught it from Mike Biffle's feed, and he was saying, "Yeah, something." It's kind of he agreed with the article that yeah, there's there's something that happens. Other people were saying something that happens after you get through five thousand followers that you start to pick up a lot of negativity, um, which is and un, un, you know uh, kind of surprising to them and. Then you had the other half of Twitter saying, well, you know, Twitter's given you this platform, this position, and now you're complaining, you get a few, you know, negative comments. Uh, I think, you know, you shouldn't bite the hand that feeds you sort of thing. And I can see this is sort of like the celebrity culture thing in, in a, sort of like a much smaller scale that there's this thing, you know, we had the Leveson inquiry in, in, um, in, in the UK about how much the media should be, you know, getting into celebrities' lives when these aren't really important stories. And the, th- the thing is, people always say this thing of, well, it's celebrities, right? They, they've put their life out there. They want to be bought and sold as a commodity. The next thing that happens is that we just talk a little bit about them and say, no, no, I don't want you to talk about that bit. I just want you to talk about the good bits about me. And, and then there's this wrangle between, well, should, they're still people with their own privacy issues. They are still people and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then this Twitter thing happens with Lee Alexander, and I keep on thinking it's a similar thing. You can disagree with the way she put that message out, but they're kind of people as well, and they they are going to respond to negative criticism. And it's in a strange way, it's, you can see it almost like as a, I don't know what to do about it. I didn't think I was a celebrity, but you are, you know? Uh, you know, I, 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 I liked Lee Alexander's article quite a bit. Um, I disliked it quite a bit as well. And I, I love two minds about it. And, you know, I don't want to get too much into discussing the actual, like, uh, uh, the actual article, but I think, you know, a couple of points that, you know, I think she was making with it are, are valid. And I think some of the points that she was making with it are, are, are totally invalid. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of what, you know, we, it's totally true that the, the, the arc of, communication over the past 50 60 70 years however long you want to go back to um you know maybe to to you know the year 1700 when the royal mail started or whenever it was uh is 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 real-time access to people and it's it's getting more and more personal and i think as it's getting more and more personal and 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 as people have such direct access and such easy access at their fingertips to people that they don't know and even people that they do know there has been a breakdown in uh social etiquette surrounding these sort of things Mm. and so you know i'll dash off a quick tweet uh, a a quick text to a friend of mine because you know he or she is a friend of mine and i know them and i'll say something stupid and it'll be fine but I, i i think it's i think lee alexander is right that a lot of people also do that to people that they don't know on Twitter and don't really think about it. And I, I, I'm not saying they're doing it to be 
to be mean, I, I honestly think that people are not thinking about what they're doing. I think they're just saying, I'm doing the same thing that I'm doing to my friends. You're on Twitter. I see you all the time. I read your stuff. Um, I know what you had for breakfast. We're friends. You want to hear from me. And I think the second point is a, it has to, a lot of it has to do with how celebrities use Twitter and how these sort of creative types use Twitter. And if you're using it to stay in touch with people that you actually know and you're tweeting a lot of stuff about your personal life, I don't know that I have a lot of sympathy for the position that that feels uncomfortable now that everybody knows your business. You're putting your mm. business out there. Uh, and, you know, I, I always think of like, um, you know, indie developers that that have Twitter accounts that don't tweet a lot. You know, I mean, and, and we could make a list of them, you know, a mile long and, and, and they're not a topic of this podcast because they're using Twitter in a very different way than, than a lot of other people do. And so, you know, is that an appropriate use or, or a more appropriate use of Twitter? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I must admit, um, my instant reaction, um, without, without thinking about it when I, when I caught wind of the article that Lee wrote was something along the lines of, well, what did you expect? <laughs> it yeah. was it was kind of like this is this is kind of like the shit we've been talking about for a while right it's essentially what ethics was about the ethics article right is yeah this is nothing new if you put yourself online and you talk about yourself and make yourself like everybody's friend inevitably everybody's going to be your friend and some of those people get pissed off when you don't respond to them as your friend and that was like my instant reaction i, I had a bit more nuanced when i thought about it more but um it's kind of, it's it's like that dangerous hurdle. Everybody's going to, everyone who gets successful and is putting themselves out there in this modern age where, you know, if you have to be successful, if you want to successfully market yourself, you have to be sort of personal in some way and you have to be online, which will propel you into this sort of problem, right? So I know that all sorts of developers have fallen afoul of this, right? The Zomboid um uh, project right that that big one um did you hear about that uh was it last year a couple of years ago I, I don't think so no they um they had their uh flat burgled and they their computers they were working on developing and the you know that were stolen and they hadn't backed up for a few weeks or something like that so they lost an awful lot of work and they told everybody online on twitter and they were a bit drunk and basically some people were kind of outraged, you know, like basically we've given you our money and you can't back up your code because I believe that the project was kickstarted or, or it was it was um, not kickstarted, but uh, maybe pre-orders, alpha build, uh, alpha payment sort of thing. Sure. And a lot of people were kind of pissed off that, well, you could have at least have the decency to back your code up like a normal developer. And they were a bit drunk at the time because they were a bit you know, upset about being burgled and everything. And they kind of, uh, I think one of the developers just fired back, you know, and said, you don't know what you're fucking talking about because we just got burgled. <laughs> and um, and you, I can understand the situation. It's this thing where they, they feel like, well, we're just indie developers just doing, a, you know, it's just like some guys working in something together. We're not like a com company or anything. But then people give you money and they expect you to act like it. Yet you're still behaving. You've got this personal connection through Twitter with all your followers and it's exceedingly dangerous. And I think it ended up with, it was a, a lot of lost love at that point. I think that the project's bounced back since then, and they've 
you know, uh, fallen in the sword of it, saying, yeah, we kind of screwed up. And they give a big talk at, um, I think it was Rezd about it, which is interesting. Um, but it's kind of dangerous to put yourself on Twitter in that way, right? Especially if you're drunk. Yeah, no, I think if there's one thing that uh, should be mandated uh, for all electronic devices is a breathalyzer. <laughs> and, and and if you blow, you know, like over a point two or whatever, it just your 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 network connection shuts off and and doesn't come back on until the morning <laughs> i you know and yeah that that's a perfect example i mean you know i totally can see both of their 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 points there you know they don't feel like a real company they don't feel like um you know they can really be held responsible for not having a robust backup solution uh and and at the same time uh, you know uh, fans and 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 people who have given them money uh not in a kickstarter capacity perhaps but but you know in a in a capacity where they asked for money and they were given money you know they have a not an investor attitude but they they do feel invested in it and so i don't think they're wrong to expect a certain level of competency mm. uh you know and 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 the twitter thing notwithstanding you know the direct access to the direct access to 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 people works both ways. We've been talking a lot about, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about people having problems with their their followers tweeting inappropriate things at them. But what is the responsibility for uh, indie developers and, and other celebrities to to have some sort of modicum of uh, uh, you know holding themselves back a little bit in 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 responding to these people? I mean. I understand that it's difficult sometimes to do that, but at the end of the day, I think you you if if you have a large following and you have a large online audience, it behooves you to hold yourself back. Uh, and there's a reason why big Hollywood celebrities have pl- publicists, right? Yeah. So I think that that that's really it. Maybe that's the future. Yeah, well, I think we've come up with a with a really great business idea here. Uh, publicist for indie developers. We'll we'll make tens of dollars. I think they, they, they some do exist, right? Some people do actually use them, and certainly something which is more organized as a studio. I mean, I get on Electron Dance, I do get PR mails from you know smaller indie outfits uh, through um, uh, through PR uh, machines. So they they're not actually talking to me directly; they're going through yeah. somebody else. And in a way, I always feel that's a bit sad because it's like, well, that's not very indie. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, I want to talk to a person, not a machine. Um, uh, that's actually my voice in real life. Sorry. Uh, so, I can vouch for that. I've, I've met Joel in real life. He talks like that. So um, I think I think it's kind of happening, but it, it feels a bit colder. And then you start to end up by people seeing them more as companies again. Um, how indie is that? I don't know. I mean, it's it's not indie, but is that a problem? Because the, the the term indie itself has sort of become this meaningless catch-all term, and uh, you know, I, it 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 is what you want it to be, right? And so, um, anything is indie now, as long as it's not published by EA. So, I don't think it's necessarily a problem for indie developers to employ publicists to handle that aspect for them. If it's all done on a on a smaller scale, and you know, I always go back to to I think you know, 
indie game developers could could learn a lot by looking at what uh indie music labels did um you know because there were no indie music labels really until until the 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 80s i mean there there were but you know i'm talking specifically about a lot of the sort of like punk and hardcore stuff and you know you really saw an outgrowth of, of of indie labels happening you know in the 80s and 90s and they had a lot of growing pains and they had a lot of growing pains for a lot of the same reasons but the 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 indie musicians really wanted that direct access to their fans and really valued the direct access to their fans. And I think musicians especially always have, and they were banding together to, to start studios or to sign onto the indie studios more for, for, for distribution and, and, and also for publicity, you know, Mm. to, to line up interviews and, 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 you know, we're going to be going on a, on a 13 city tour on the East coast and, and, you know, we'll be in Boston on Tuesday. Is there, you know, can you get us a radio interview or can you get us a, a, you know, a, a five minutes with the person at the local alternative weekly who writes about music? And I think those are valuable things. And I think those are, those are things that, that indie developers, it could it could use, frankly. I guess. I mean, just as the term "indie" is so fragmented, what it what it really represents is such a cluster of different ideals. But I guess we're really talking about uh, commercial developers as opposed to the people who put stuff out for free, um, just trying to make some interesting, cool stuff for people to 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 enjoy. That that's always about the people, right? They're essentially personal games. So that was an interesting thing from Indie Game the movie, by the way, because most of it this this idea, which strangely feels more recent, that indie games are supposed to be, uh, you know, we should put ourselves in the developers put themselves into them, and they should be about their personal life, or not not so much their personal life, but they've got to be something about the developers themselves to be meaningful, and you know that was the message coming out from all of those guys in the, in the film really, right. John Blow actually pretty much said that thing, right. Putting his, his, uh, you know, um, uh, flaws into the game and things like that. And I thought it's interesting that all across the board, indie, indie games are personal, even if they are, you know, multi-million <laughs> dollar, uh, earning, uh, pieces of art. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And, and, you know, how, how much, how much, uh, more interesting would, would indie game have movie, the movie had been if, if, if Anthropy had been a subject, you know, for example, um, you know, because, because she's making, uh, explicitly personal games for, for no money. And I don't think she's even ever really charged for any of her games, according to my knowledge. I mean, she's done stuff for uh, for like Adult Swim and things like that, which she's gotten paid for. But mm. she very much is a the the the, the proponent of, of of do your own thing, make make games for yourself, and maybe a few people. Um, and and you know, she doesn't have a publicist certainly, and I don't think that she's ever really talked uh, publicly about. Uh, having any issues with with managing her, yeah. her followers and ha- managing her Twitter followers, or or even getting uncomfortable with that, and so you know maybe that is the dividing line where you're talking about people who are doing this purely for the love of it, and and, and people that are doing it with the hope of making it into some sort of life, uh, you know, uh, life for them. That's right. But I mean, if you if you know uh, any of Anthropy's games, you know who Anthropy is, right? I don't mean necessarily through her games. I mean as a personality online, you you know. Anybody who knows who Anthropy is knows who Anthropy is. She's just uh, uh, one of those people that you know. You, her personality is online. There it is. It's it's right in front of you. What do you? As you go to something a little bit more commercial, and you will see people holding back a little bit more. Um, there's a sort of uh, different kind of relationship that they're trying to uh, engender, 
And I think, yeah, on the commercial side, maybe people are going to be more drifting towards a PR shield. Someone to tell them when to stop talking. <laughs> right, right. And I mean, you know, for, for me personally, I, I don't I don't wish that um, more indie developers would, would have publicists because, you know, um, I, I do an interview show with, with indie developers and I don't want them to have a publicist yeah. sitting in the room, you know. Um, that's not how you get a good interview. Um, but at the same time, I can definitely see the the issue there with with Ananthropy being more that you know she she seems to be comfortable with living her life um, online and and living her life very very publicly and you know Lee Alexander is not um, but they're both putting their lives out there and and what responsibility do do they have and what responsibility to to indie developers have who are celebrities or not have to themselves even to not put so much out there if it feels unwieldy or onerous on them. But wasn't, wasn't Lee one of the big proponents of putting your life online in the past? I'm not sure if she's into it now, but I mean, she was a big contributor to Thor catalog and, and, and that was all about putting personal stories out online. Right. Yeah. And so I think she's changed her mind. Uh, I think she was really along the same lines. Right. I'm, I'm right in saying that she's changed her mind. Right. I think so. I think she has changed her mind. I mean, I don't know her personally, so, you know, I haven't talked about her with this or anything. <laughs> I've never even spoken to the woman. But, um, you know, yeah, I, I totally can see that uh, being true. Right. Because uh, I, I just think it's weird how, how easily it happens, though, that you fall into being um, a person online. I mean, Electron Dance now, what, coming up to, it's just gone through three years. And when I fought in the fourth year, and I've got, close to 500 followers on Twitter. I mean, it's a drop in the ocean, really. But already, things have, be, have been changing. You know, it's, you know, I now get a lot more mails in terms of PR, you know, from, from PR um, factories. And I, I actually get more developers contacting me directly and, and seem to be becoming this, I don't know, thing online. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm, I'm no longer just Electron Dance, just, you know, here's some tweets, here's some article I put online if you're interested. Now it's like, oh, I'm Electron Dance. And it's a bit strange to feel that solidifying around you when, of course, you just wanted the attention. You wouldn't be on there if you, wouldn't be on there if you, you weren't seeking attention. But then you start getting attention and you start thinking you're sort of crystallizing into a, a second person. Um, yeah. It's a very no, I, I weird mean... feeling. Yeah, it it is. And I mean, you you can't really develop a a following anymore without using Twitter. And so I think the idea of not using Twitter um, is a non-starter. You know, I I mean, I've even had this issue on a a small, very, 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 very small scale. I mean, I have basically no followers on Twitter, um, (laughs) like a tenth of what you have. And I'm fine with that because my Twitter account is very strange and I don't really know what I'm doing with it. And I haven't known what I'm doing with it for, for a while, ever since I've had the Twitter account, which has been about a year. And, you know, even I have felt the pull of people who listen to Dialogue Tree or people who know my stuff from from doing this podcast with you or, you know, whatever it is, um, referencing that specific Twitter account in conjunction with Dialogue Tree or in conjunction with Electron Dance. And, you know, I very much sort of had this idea of, of parceling it out and, 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 and dividing everything into different Twitter accounts and trying to keep it very, very... Uh, uh, distinct, but it doesn't work. And so there's also that I can see that being a problem with, um, with indie developers and, and, and celebrities as well, where 
as much as you might want to try and keep that stuff siloed, you can't really do it because people are going to reference you however they're going to want to reference you. Because, I mean, it's only a matter of time, right, before um, Electron Dance is like, God, you know, followers and stuff. At some point, I'll become... Uh, if I keep on going for years and years, I mean, I'm not one of these people, obviously, I'm going to suddenly break out and, wow, you've got a million followers and now you're making loads of money. It's not going to happen like that. It's going to be a slow build, right? Like most, say, businesses start out, right? Many indie developers, right? They've been going for years before they, they see real success. Um, Sex tape, Joel. <laughs> okay. Aside from saying. that. Um, and I can imagine at some point down the line, I become sort of, well, I almost become establishment and then you become something to be discussed as a thing. You know, you're in a positive and a negative light and that's going to be incredibly weird. And it's like, wait a second, I, I was just writing a few articles. Don't don't talk to me like I'm not in the room in Twitter. <laughs> I mean, no, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I, you know, the other the other thing, too, I think that that maybe we can we can touch on. Um, we haven't talked about uh, we haven't mentioned Richard Hoffmeyer in 20 minutes. God, so. No. We could probably mention him, but I think, you know, he's one of those uh, indie developers who um, keeps a very low profile online, you know, uh, uh, but at the same time, he has, uh, can I think, construct, I don't know that he's constructing a persona. I mean, I've met him and you've met him, mm. and so I think that's just who he is. Uh, the, the, the porpentine thing at, at the IGF where he destroyed his own or defaced his own um, his own booth in favor of Porpentine's game Howling Dogs, you know, that, that totally felt like him. Yeah. And I think that he is, you know, I find him interesting in light of this conversation about Twitter and, 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 and how people manage their online personas because he's managed his online persona by basically not having one. And at the same time, he's kind of constructing a a persona that is very old-fashioned because it's totally outside of, of, of the online space. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... I don't know if Richard's really happy with his uh, new online persona that he hasn't constructed himself, that, you know, Cart Life has actually now achieved. We've we got to say it was a success, right? It got through the IGF, it won three awards, and it's, 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 it's been some sort of force. Everybody's heard about Cart Life. Most people have heard about Cart Life. If you're into indie games now, it's not the kind of thing you can not have heard about, um, which... And I'm not sure he's really happy with that success. <laughs> you know, you, you see how um, uh, uncomfortable he is while walking on the stage, right? And and then defacing his own booth, it's like he wants to destroy the success that maybe the, the starving artist was was the best thing about it. <laughs> you know, yeah. Toiling, you can't toil in the spotlight. You know, <laughs> you can only you can only toil in mediocrity. Um, so. Uh, yeah, no, I, yeah, I think so. And I, you know, and, and even to the point where, you know, w we're even doing the same thing because, you know, well, you interviewed Doug Wilson and I've met Richard Hoffmeyer and, you know, the, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, it's really impossible to, to, to divide these things up in any sort of coherent way. I think a lot of times you just have to, I think the, 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 the real problem is, is recognizing that. And I think once you recognize it, it becomes a lot easier. I think, um, you know when when Richard actually just defaced the, the his booth, all I could think was that's not really going to work in terms of trying to destroy your own reputation or or give it give the the, the stage to somebody else. I mean, obviously you are gonna gonna uh, you know uh, give some 
um, throw some of the, the light on somebody else, and Paul Patan definitely got some of that. However, it sort of just adds to the Richard Hofmeyer mythos, right? <laughs> it's just, it becomes yeah. more like, wow, that's the guy that, uh, you know, defaced his own award. That's going to go down in kind of IGF history, right? I mean, there's the guy who won the IGF twice, <laughs> and then it's the guy who sort of like tried to eat his own reward. Um, and- but I, but I, but I, I, I take your point. But I, I like the fact that he has a persona for doing things. Oh, right? that's because not my point, it's- though. That's not my point. My point is that the signs are that 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 Richard doesn't really like having all the attention, but that kind of that act he did will actually increase his reputation it will create more buzz about him and it will it will almost you know uh crystallize who he is as a person online just that act and i don't know if he's it's like i don't know if he's really comfortable with that he really did want to give the stage to pop time but it, it adds to his personality and i don't think you can really do anything about that without i think the only way you can kill your personality in life you've got a big enough personality is to not do anything and that's kind of what richard's sort of doing right doesn't do very much online yeah and i you know maybe you know maybe that's a good way to 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 wrap up the conversation but i think you know richard hoffmeyer doing that publicly um it did crystallize his persona uh to a large degree but at the same time um he he has pulled away from from posting things online but he's never really been super involved in twitter and he's never really been super involved in posting a lot of a yeah. lot of shit online and so you know maybe and and that that used to be how celebrities got noticed as they used to you know do things in public um and how even indie developers would would get noticed sometimes and and now i think with twitter it's become that that was a way for celebrities and for for people that were well known or 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 doing things that that people found interesting would try and 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 divert some of that away and and try and take control of it and i think what we're seeing now a lot of times especially with with lee alexander's piece and other things that i've read are that those people those celebrities or whoever in in trying to take control of their own persona have created a separate problem and <laughs> Now they they they're very uncomfortable with what they've put out there, and very uncomfortable with the fact that people who they don't know have such direct access to them, and they they don't know how to get out of it. And I don't know what the answer is, and I don't know that there is an answer. Yeah, that's a good place to wrap up. Uh, I, I will say though that the irony of uh, uh, this podcast trying to discuss the the problem of personalities on you know of indie developers and so forth online. Uh, we've actually treated all these people as commodities to be, t- <laughs> uh, you know, dissed around as in this, in this podcast. So, um, yeah, I'm very sorry to everybody we've mentioned. <laughs> I'm not sorry. That was my goal. So, <laughs> all right. All right. Well, th- thanks for listening guys. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back with another episode of Capture Wait in the future. Thanks. Thanks.